Uh, we're doing this series on uh, answering the call, and uh, and I don't know if you you know when looking at that when I when I told you that's what we were going to do and uh, be doing and stuff. If you thought we're thinking that this messages would go different, I don't know if you thought that. I'll be open and honest with you. I thought they'd go differently than they'd go. Because initially when God began putting on my heart about doing the series like that, I started just assuming that these were the calls that I'd be talking about and had some, th- I even had them written down on my board. Okay, this Sunday I'm going to do this call and this call and this call and stuff like that. And, and it's just like, you know, in, in my prayer time uh, with the Lord and as I was praying for that, God said, no. He said, you're doing the preacher's call. You're not sharing my call. And so he took me to some of the passages we've been looking at, and he's taken me this week to this passage that we're going to be looking at uh, in John chapter 7. It is not something that we hear preached a lot when we talk about the call of Jesus, but it is one of the most amazing calls, and we've been singing about it this morning, and I, I don't know if you recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst But John chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 37 and just look at uh, three verses here in just a moment. Uh, But let me just kind of set this up for you. It is is powerful. I I love love our Lord. I, I love what he has for us. I love what he has done for us. I love what he did when he was here on this earth. Uh, Here, when, when Jesus is ministering here in John chapter 7, He's been teaching, he's been ministering among the people, and then I'm going to read verse 37 in just a moment, but in verse 37, it starts off talking about this last day of this feast, and the feast that he's talking about is called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is what it is sometimes called. It was a high Jewish time. It was uh, next to, to Passover and, and Day of Atonement. It was one of the, uh, the most holy times in the, the nation of Israel. This Feast of Booths and Tabernacles was something that, that most of the people of Israel, if not all the uh, people of Israel, would participate uh, in this feast. It was seven days long. It It was a week-long feast, and it was done at the end of harvest time. Uh, after the harvest would be gathered in and it was a reminder of how God had blessed and poured out his grace upon the nation of Israel. Even going back to the time of wilderness when God brought them out of Egypt and was taking them to the promised land, they had that time of, of wandering there in the wilderness when they were living in tents or booths or tabernacles. And that's what this time was a reminder of that. They would build these temporary huts and shelters and and they were supposed to kind of stay in those huts and shelters. I don't know if they kind of came in and out and would go in their house, you know, and depending on the weather and things like that. But that's what they were supposed to do. But it was also a time of celebration because of where they had been and where God had taken them to. You know, matter of fact, the, the verse that Anne Marie was uh, sharing about uh, bringing rivers in the wilderness, that's, that's exactly what we're, what we're talking a, a, about here. Uh, because when they were in, they were in the wilderness, Wilderness, but God had promised blessings to come. He took care of them there, just like he does in the wilderness. But the wilderness is not the end. There are blessings to come. When they were in the wilderness, God provided manna. It was a miracle. But he was taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
And so that's what they're celebrating is they're in the land. They're, they're being blessed. The harvest has come and they're thanking God for what he has done. They, when they were in the wilderness, God provided water. He even brought water out of a rock, but water was scarce. When they came to the promised land, there were springs and wells everywhere for them. And so they're celebrating God's blessing in their life. Even with this, uh, uh, the, the blessing as a part of the, the Feast of Booze, they had this water ritual that they would do. They would go from the temple, the priest would go from the temple and he'd have this, this big golden pitcher and he'd go to the pool of Siloam and people would be lined up in the streets and gathered around. They'd gather around the pool. They'd line up the way from the, the temple there and he would dip in the pool of this fresh water and this pitcher and he would take it back up uh, to the, the, the temple and as he was doing it, people were, were singing. Matter of fact, they sang uh, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse three where it says, therefore with joy you will draw water water from the wells of salvation. And so they, that's what they were singing. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, they would sing that uh, as he was going. The people would be chanting that and singing it. And by the way, that wells of salvation, uh, the word that, and the Hebrew there was Yeshua. And so they're singing out Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua uh, in the midst of their, their singing, the wells of salvation, the provision of salvation, looking forward to that Messiah that would come and provide that. And then he would get into the, the, the temple proper and he'd go up to the altar and on the corners of, of the altar he would pour out this water and he would pour out this water symbolizing God's blessing and God's provision upon the nation of Israel also symbolizing I don't know if they understood this but also symbolizing the fact that when Yeshua the Messiah would come they would need an altar for sacrifice anymore that they would pour water on it. Wouldn't need it anymore. I don't know if they understood all that, but there's great symbolism there. And then when they'd pour out this water, they would also quote from Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8, where it says, in that day, that promised day that they were looking forward to, in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Now catch this. Jesus is with the crowd. They're doing all of this. And he is there at the temple. I don't know if he was right inside or right there. This huge crowd that is going on, they would pour the water out. They would say that at Zechariah 14a, and that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem. And then this happened, verse 37, it says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood. I mean, they did this, they quoted this, and there they were. And all of a sudden, this voice speaks out, and everybody listens to this voice. This is what Jesus said. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, it's me. Yeshua is here. John as he's writing this, as he's, he's declaring this, you remember this is John is writing John chapter, this is John the disciple. 
He was, he was there with Jesus. He heard the teaching of Jesus concerning the Holy Spirit, concerning his death, concerning his resurrection, concerning the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. He saw, he was the one disciple that was there and saw Jesus die on the cross. He's also the, G, the one that, that one of the disciples, many of all the disciples, they saw the resurrected Jesus and he, he, he saw him there. He heard him. He saw that, that Jesus was alive. He was the one standing standing there when Jesus ascended into heaven with all the other disciples there and he was also one there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. And he was one along with Peter proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit where thousands came to Christ. And John says in verse 39, he said, this is what Jesus was talking about. But this he, Jesus, spoke Concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him, in Jesus, would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What a call. And I pray that our hearts hear the call of Jesus. John is saying, this is true. Jesus can do this. And John is saying, I know it because he has done it in me. He's declaring the truth that this is who Jesus is. And this is exactly what Jesus has done and will do in the lives of his people. Now, as we look at this this morning... I want us to, to understand the reality of the situation. When we were began looking at these calls, that's one of the things that we talked to, that Jesus always speaks into reality. And so notice the, the reality of, of what is going on. Back in verse 37, at this, this last day of the, pe of the feast, it says that, that Jesus stood and cried out, and he's exposing the reality of what's going on when he says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. This is the reality of, 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 of our lives, of, of really everybody's life, but especially those of us that have, have given our lives to Christ. You see, there is, in each one of us, there is a thirst that must be satisfied. God has made us, and he has made us with a thirst that can only be satisfied from him. Now, when we're talking about thirst, when Jesus uses the word thirst, thirst is different from, from hunger. When you, you go on a fast or something like that, I mean, you're hungry and your stomach growls and all that and you, you, your belly button starts gnawing on your backbone and, and things like that. But after a while, that hunger will go away. After a period of days, for some it takes a little bit longer. But after a while, you get where you're, you're not hungry anymore. That's part of the problem when somebody's seriously ill and they don't eat is that after a while, they're not hungry anymore. And they don't want to eat. They don't desire food. Thirst is different from that. When you do without fluid, when your body doesn't have the, the fluid and the nutrients and the potassium and all that, it thirsts. And it keeps on thirsting until that, that thirst is satisfied. But if you, there are some people that don't have that. But if you, don't, if, if, if you lose your thirst, then something's wrong. Matter of fact, there, there's a disease or, or a symptom of disease is called hypo, uh, hypodysia. 
Uh, and uh, you can look it up. You can Google it and stuff. It's there, and that's what they call where, where you're not thirsty anymore, but people that have that have something wrong. They've got some type of disease. Maybe they've got MS, and it's attacking that part of their, their brain stem that controls thirst. Maybe they have a brain tumor. Maybe they have some form of cancer. There's something that is causing that, and that's the, that's the danger of us is that I say there's a thirst to be satisfied, and if you say that I'm not really thirsty for the things of God, then there's some kind of disease in your life. That disease is called sin. <clears throat> and sin is that spiritual disease that can affect our thirst in our life. If we, if we get that sin taken care of, the thirst will come back. And so have you ever really been thirsty? Have you ever, you know, when you're working or something out in the yard or, or doing something you went without, maybe when you're playing sports or, and it's real hot or something, yeah, I'm getting thirsty right now. You ever gotten real thirsty? Y'all want, you're getting thirsty right now? Oh, this water's good. Mm. Ah. You ever been thirsty? What about spiritual thirst? You been there? We ought to be there. You're thirsty when you're empty. You're thirsty when something's lacking in your life. You ever read the Word of God and it makes you thirsty? Because you read about the victory that you don't have in your life. You read about the freedom that you may not be experiencing in your life. You read about the, the power that, that Jesus talks about in passages like this and others. And, and you say, where is that in, in my life? You read about the promises, but you're not seeing them in, uh, in, in, in your life. And uh, have you ever been, been thirsty like that? Where you, you get to that point in your life where you say, there's got to be more than this. More than just, just coming to church, hearing a sermon, going home, reading your Sunday school lesson. There's got to be more to this Christian life than, than this. And, and you begin to, and I want you to understand, as, as a child of God, you were made for more than that. We need to quit denying this reality and we need to let God pour salt on us and make us, give us that, that thirst that we need. There needs to be a thirst that must be satisfied. And not only that, but there's also an inability that must be recognized. In other words, we can't satisfy this thirst on our own. Jesus says uh, there, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. You can't fix it on your own. You can't go to the wells of this world and satisfy that thirst. There, there is an inability that must be recognized that, that we are without power. We are inept. We can't fix ourselves. Let me, let me ask you, where do you go to get your water? You're thirsty? Where do you go to get your water? Does it satisfy you? Does it really? You see, Jesus says here, he says, if anyone thirsts, 
This is a, a need that we all have. This is a need that is, is within us all. There is this thirst within us all. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. We can't find it within ourselves. We can't find it through discipline. We can't find it through our own efforts. We can't find it through our own intelligence and, and our own work. We Only Jesus can satisfy this. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Take a drink. Take him. What is he saying here? This, this inability that must be recognized. We need to abandon the pursuit of everything else because it will not satisfy within ourselves, within the world, within our relationships with other people. We need to recognize only Jesus can satisfy this thirst. Only Jesus satisfies. And the beautiful thing about it is that here we are, before I even started preaching this, you may have recognized something. Maybe you were already there. Maybe you woke up this morning or, or last night you were studying the word of God and you're thinking, God, there's got to be more than this. Maybe, maybe you've been, I've been there in my life where I, I knew I was saved. I was born again. I was going to heaven, but, but the, I read the word of God and I say, I want that. I want that. And I, I would try to bring it in my own life through study and, and through discipline and things, and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. There's a reality that we must not deny. Secondly, there's a truth that we must embrace. Now, we're going to get back in verse 38 here in just a moment, but I want to skip down to verse 39 because this is the truth that we must understand of what he's going to be talking about in verse 38. Because he says in verse 39, but this he, Jesus, spoke concerning the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believing in him, believing in Jesus, would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given at this time in Jesus' ministry is what he's talking about. He's not talking about with us. He's talking about here. He said, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So let's, let's understand. I'm not going to go. I ain't got time. I mean, it would be hour upon hour, and we, we, we may need that at some point. But, but I just want to touch on this truth of the Holy Spirit, just this foundational truth of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, back in verse 38, he said, he who believes in me as the scripture has said. Do you understand that from Genesis chapter one all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit is all over this place, all over this book. It, it, he, is, he is real. He has always been. The Old Testament talks about Jesus and the Holy Spirit says he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then in, John, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus came in the, in the book of Acts and he said the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. And then we have in the, in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit actually came and now the rest of the New Testament is saying he's here, he's here, he's here. He's available to us. You see, this Holy Spirit, as we just sang about him earlier and stuff, he is God. He is the third person of the, the, the Trinity. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the, the Holy Spirit three in one. 
He's that third person of the Trinity. He was there at creation. He took part in creation. He is found all throughout the Old Testament. He is the one that was with Jesus and at his baptism came down upon him and led him and guided him and protected him through everything. And he is the one that fell upon the church and those believers at Pentecost. And now everyone that knows Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. And he brings Jesus with him. The work of Jesus with him. The Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. The moment of salvation, he comes in and he lives within our heart. It is a physical impossibility, but it is a supernatural reality. It is real. And why is he there? Well, according to this passage and many, many, many others, he is giving us the life of Jesus. That's what he is doing. He is giving us the presence of Jesus in our lives. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you have no life. You are not saved, according to Romans chapter 8. You may not recognize all that he's doing. You may not understand all that he's doing. But if you've been born again, you've been born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Now listen, understand the false teaching that is out there. This is not saying that we are God. We are not God. The Holy Spirit is God. And God lives in us. We are not God, but God lives in us. So that's the truth of the Holy Spirit. And now we have this truth of the glorified Jesus. The glorified Jesus. He says there in verse 39, he says, He spoke this concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Jesus would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. And then he says this, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does he mean, this glorified Jesus? Jesus has not yet, in John chapter 7, he has not yet gone to the cross, been resurrected, and ascended into heaven. That's what hadn't happened yet. In his life here, he was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He did everything perfectly. He showed us how to resist temptation. He resisted temptation. He lived this life of humility. He showed unconditional love. He served. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He gave his life. That is the Jesus that was here on this earth and that lived this life. After his death, on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, everything changed. Because not only was he giving us an example, but then that's when the freedom came. That's when we were set freed from sin. That's when the victory came. That's when the power came. That's when the glory came. That's what he's talking about with this glorified Jesus. More than just an example, but the power to live by. You see, with the glorified Jesus, what he's saying is there would come a time when this glorified Jesus would have all, all the work would be done. All the work would be done for the cleansing of sin, the removal of sin from our lives. Not only that we wouldn't have to pay the price for sin, but sin itself would be removed, cleansed from our sins, completely washed clean, white as snow, as we talked about with that first calling in Isaiah chapter 1, though 
our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's what he came to cleanse us from. But not only to cleanse us from our sin, he came to set us free from sin. He came to break the chains of sin, that sin would no longer control our lives. And he came to give us victory over sin. That's the glorified Jesus. He has conquered sin. That is him. And so catch this. When we receive the Holy Spirit, when we are when we are saved, you don't have to ask for it. It just happens whether you want it or not. He comes into our life. He takes over. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings this glorified Jesus with him. The victorious one. The overcoming one. The one who sets us free. The one who does this work. Matter of fact, J Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 4, he said, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. He will glorify me. What does that mean? He's bringing the glorified Jesus into our lives. The victorious one. This is the new work that we need. This is what we hunger for. This is what we thirst for. This is what our souls thirst for. Yes, we thirst for complete and total forgiveness, but we thirst for freedom. We thirst for victory. We thirst for the ability to overcome. And it's not found in us. It's found in the Jesus who the Holy Spirit brings into us. It's not just this outside Christ setting an example and saying, do this. But it is the indwelling Christ of victory that lives within us. See, I, I've been taught... Over the years, and there is some truth to it that, you know, when you're saved, you're justified. Three words, justified, sanctified, glorified. When you're saved, you're justified. You're forgiven of your sins. You may, you have a right relationship with God because sin, the sin penalty is taken care of. That's true. And then after you're saved, you're being sanctified. You're learning how to walk with Jesus. You're being made more and more like Jesus. And that is true. And then one day, Whenever we leave this earth at death or the rapture, we are glorified and everything is made right on that day. And that is true. That's when everything will be made perfect right. But that's not really the way Jesus taught it. Jesus taught that at the moment of salvation, you are justified, sanctified, and glorified. <laughs> you don't have to wait till then. Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. As long as I'm here, I, won't I will never be sinless. But as long as I have the Jesus within me, I don't have to wait till heaven to taste of his glory. I don't have to wait till heaven to have victory. I don't have to wait till heaven to overcome. The glorified Jesus lives in my heart right now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, are you thirsty? Come to me. Now, will we embrace this truth? The reality is we need it. There's a thirst that needs to be satisfied. And then there's this glorious hope of the Holy Spirit and the glorified Jesus. Now, why won't we partake of it? See, there's a change that also must be pursued. See, the question is not, are you thirsty? The question really is, are you thirsty enough to let Jesus change you? Because sometimes we're thirsty, but we're not really that thirsty. 
Are we thirsty enough to let Jesus change us? See, back in verse 38, that's what he's talking about. There's a change that takes place. First of all, there's a faith change. He says, he who believes in me, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that does apply to salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. That's when the believing starts. That's when the faith starts. But he's talking about more than that. It's not just that we believe that he will save us, but do we believe he can do this? Do we believe he can change us? Do we believe he really did everything he said he did on the cross? Do we believe we've really been set free? Do we believe that Jesus lives, really does live within us? And do we believe that that Jesus can give us the victory over sin? Do we really believe? See, there's got to be a change of faith where we move on and, and move deeper and say, I believe everything that you've said. Not just that I can be saved and go to heaven, but I believe there's a life for me. I believe there is a Holy Spirit. I believe that Holy Spirit will come into me and will take, and I believe that he will bring victory into my life. Believe it all. Believe it all. He, well, the key here is he says, he who believes in me, in Jesus, that we believe he is who he said he is and that he did what he said he did and that he will do it in us. We believe that he is the glorified Jesus and that he really does come to us. That we can abide in him through his Holy Spirit, and that he does live within us. We believe it enough that we will drink. We will take him in. And we'll let him rule and lead in our lives. You say, what all does that mean? I'm still learning, but I believe. A faith change and a heart change Notice what he says. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of what? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Basically, he's saying before, you didn't have a heart like this. But when you come to me, when you believe in me, I will change your heart. It is a work that is done in the heart. It is a work that flows from the heart. Understand this, this call to come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It is a cry of passion from the Lord that he is saying, I, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to live in defeat. I don't want you to be overcome this world. I don't want you to be a victim of the enemy. Come to me. He cares for us. He loves us. He has removed all the barriers of sin that are between us so that we can come. This call to come is a call from the heart of God. Listen, believe that he loves us so much that he will do this in our lives. It is a cry of passion. And this cry of passion from Jesus calls for passion from us, heart passion from us. It calls for a heart change that we will hold nothing back. That's the motive for that, that works. If we're trying to impress others, this won't work. If we're trying to make things easier in our lives, it won't work because doing this will not make things easier as far as the world is concerned. 
We might not make things easier as far as the devil is concerned. We'll not make things easier as far as the flesh is concerned. You'll move into a, 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 a path in your life. You'll move into a place in your life where you recognize you cannot do it on your own. It is so difficult. It is so hard. But I tell you what, the motive is not trying to make things easier. It is because I love him. And I want everything he has for me. And I want to know him better. I want to know him deeper. I, I want to walk with him. And it comes from a heart of compassion. A heart that has been cleansed. A heart that has been filled with the love of Jesus. That you're amazed by his grace. You're amazed not only that, that he would save you and give a, you a cabin in the corner of glory land, but that he has set you free and he's given you the pathway of victory in your life. I don't want a cabin. I want it all. And Jesus says, I got it all and I'll give it to you. Heart change. And a heart that is united with his heart. I love him and I love everybody he loves. Which leads to that life change. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a life change. Where we're not just taking in, it is flowing out. A river flowing. Where it's not me anymore. It's this river of Jesus. It's this river of the Holy Spirit flowing in my life. That means flowing into every area of my life. The Holy Spirit taking control. Jesus being there. Jesus everywhere. When I go home, it's not Doug there. It's Jesus there. When I go to work, it's not Doug going to work. It's Jesus going to work. When I pump gas in my car and, and that person is sitting on the other side of the pump, that's not Jesus, that's not Doug pumping gas, that's Jesus pumping gas. When I sit down on the table and eat, that's not Doug eating, that's Jesus eating. When I go to, go to bed, that's not Doug sleeping, that's Jesus sleeping. That's where he, he flows into every area of my life is Jesus, Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. That's where he, he's calling us. And that through the Holy Spirit, helping us, leading us, guiding us, correcting us, changing us, empowering us. That's the way our lives ought to be. Where it's no longer, as, as Paul said, it's no longer me, it's Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live. But it's not me, it's Jesus. Every area of our life he flows into rivers of living water. And then not only that, but he flows through me. Where when people come into contact with me, please let it not be Doug, let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. I want people to meet Jesus. I want people to hear from Jesus. I want people to see Jesus, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. 
We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.